As we continue in our Exodus series, as we've said the past few weeks, we are in a portion of the book of Exodus where the stories being told have reverberations into future conversations that either the nation of Israel has or you'll even see New Testament authors referring back to these events. And so along with the parting of the Red Sea, we spoke about that last week and how that moment was a unique moment in the history of Israel, but at the same time was a moment that the nation looked back on, that Jesus likely referred to in Luke 19. It is still something that bringing into a new land is still something that his people long for in the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. And today, with the grumbling, we have similar moments that are going to be referred back to as the history moves on. You heard in the kids' video, camping. There are people at our church who really like camping. There are some who are camping right now. Actually, I think out-of-state camping. And it's funny because I remember at my previous church, they would take all the college students during spring break on a camping trip. They're trying to redeem your spring break, take you camping, find a place. And I feel like the college staff would spend the week prior to that week getting ready for the camping trip. It's like, what do we have? What do we need? Do we have this? Do we have this? Do we have propane? Do we have pots and pans? Do we have enough, whatever it is, like everybody load up so we can go and get that thing done? We take days off of work so we can prep for a trip that we're trying to take. And that's kind of how we do camping. And then when we go, we have to be sure we have access to certain things. Well, is there cell phone access? I need to be sure to call 911 if a kid falls over, um, or me. I have to be sure that I have everything that I need. I have to be sure that if I forgot something, I can get it pretty quickly. And then, of course, what's the new stuff that we're all doing but glamping, right? Glamorous camping. Yeah, can you right? Oh, we don't do that. We do, we do the real kind of camping. Yeah, put me in the wilderness. We did have a member who was like, yeah, I was on a business trip, and it was just so nice. I just got a, a, a sleeping bag and just slept out under the stars. I was like, you're weird. <laughs> like, the Lord made roofs. You could just get underneath them, right? But no, I was, oh, just so beautiful, just so beautiful. This is what I do. So, yeah, glamping's a thing, and so it's like, well, no, I want, like, I want to pay $500 a night to camp. That's what I want. I want a little thing I can ring. That's all the stuff that goes on. And still, you do all that preparation, and what happens? You don't have something that you need. You're like, oh, I, for- I forgot my wallet. Like, yeah, you know, whatever it is. I can't buy anything. I forgot, I for- I forgot Ben's medicine. <laughs> right? Like, you just go, we're going to have to turn around. <laughs> Go get what we need. I forgot this. I forgot that. We have all these things that we do. We do all this prep. We take days off of work. We're sure it's going to work out. Then we get to our destination, and we still don't have what we need. Now, imagine if you were rushed out of a land like the Israelites were. They were rushed out of a land in the middle of the night. Get up, get out. Get up and get out. And now, I mean, it's like, what can you carry? Bring that. I mean, there's no four-day prep. There's no, well, is the suitcase ready to go? None of that. It is, well, last night we were in Egypt, and tonight we're leaving. That's, That's it. There isn't this huge amount of preparation. They just left. And 
you realize very quickly after you leave, you have this moment in the desert after the Lord has delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and you've seen his mighty work, you've seen everything that he can do, you've seen his power, you've seen the plagues, now you've seen the armies of, of Pharaoh destroyed and what happens? You didn't bring your bottled water. You don't have your water. You don't have enough food for the journey. These are, I would say, reasonable things to be bothered about. I mean, that you forgot your neck pillow is one thing. That you may not have water is another. If you're going to be bugged about something, not having water for hundreds of thousands or millions of people is, that's kind of significant. Kind of a big deal. So that's what we're going to be running into, and we're going to take these three grumblings together. Three grumbling stories. There's a water story, there's a bread story, and there's a water story. We have, we have those again. Water, bread, and water. Three grumblings in the wilderness that the nation goes through. It seems like they would be reasonable things to be bothered about. You need to have water, and you need to eat something. Eat something. But at the same time, if you've just seen what the Lord has done, if you've just seen what the Lord has done, then maybe you have nothing to worry about. This is a lesson for us both in grumbling and in our incessant forgetfulness. I mean, the amount of times we know what's true versus how we live it's daily. Well, I, know what, I know what the Bible says. I know what God has said he will do here. I know it. I just don't actually believe it. <laughs> right? Like I, I'm, having a hard time, I'm having a hard time thinking it's true. So I have a hard time living for it. So we're going to take these three grumbling stories together. You've heard the entire passage, Exodus 15, 22 through 17, 7. Three grumbling journeys as they head out toward Sinai. Now, remember at this point in the nation's life, where we are right now, they, are, they haven't gotten the full law yet, but clearly as you see them talking about the Sabbath and following his statutes, there is instruction about who God is and how he wants his people to live. It's not codified, we don't have the tablets. We don't have all the instruction that comes after chapter 20. But there has been discussion about how to honor the Lord. The Sabbath is there. And he's even giving instruction in how they live as he's giving them bread. But we're waiting to get to the mountain. We're waiting to hear from the Lord in this so that he gives his people a way to live for him. But as we find this grumbling, we're going to see a few things. And again, we're going to kind of take these grumbling stories and talk about the first idea in all three, the second idea in all three. We're going, to, we're going to do it that way. Because these grumblings all do similar things. They reveal similar things about the nation and similar things about the Lord. That's why it seems like they're brought together as three grumblings. This is not the only time Israel grumbled in the desert. But these three come together and they reveal to us something about God's character, but also the nation's character, which we can look at and go, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I'm kind of the same way. So we'll see their superficial reason for grumbling. Superficial meaning what they, th what they think they need. 
and then the root of their problem, and then we'll see the character of God. In chapter 15, 16, and 17, in each of these grumbling stories, we see the super reason, uh, superficial reason for grumbling is that they don't have what they think they need. And again, any reasonable person would say, well, you, of course, need those things. But they have the Lord. But they don't have what they think they need. And we'll look at each of these. In Mara, they don't have potable water. Right? You ever seen the truck that says non-potable water? Right? Like, like, they don't have drinkable water. They have water, but they can't drink it. It's bitter. 15, 23, and 24. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Makes sense? Often in the Old Testament, they're naming people and places off of their experiences there. So, bitter. It's an easy way to remember. Remember when we were bitter? Yeah, I do. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, What shall we drink? What could we do here? In the wilderness of Seen, we have no meat. 16, 1, 2, and 3. They left out of Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Seen, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. Remember when they left, that was the first day of the first month? First day of the first month they left, so now we're in the 15th day of the second month. So they had, you know, six weeks in the desert, roughly, in the wilderness. After they departed the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us. This whole assembly, we're going to all die with hunger. So their frustration is no water to drink in that first story. In the second story, now they're hungry. And what do they want in that moment of hunger? Because they think that what they need is food. Being driven by just their bellies. What do they think they need? They need, they need food. And what do they wish they had? Their former life. I would rather die in Egypt full than die with the Lord starving. That was really the choice that they made there. I'd rather be in Egypt with a full belly and die there than be in the wilderness waiting for that thing God had promised but being starving. I don't want this. And then in Rephidim, they have no water again. All the congregation, this is 17.1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me and why do you test the Lord But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? A month and 15 days had passed since we saw the story earlier. We have some time, so we're still running in. Like It had only happened recently. And what has happened to the heart position of an Israelite toward the Lord in that short span of time. 
I mean, day one, right? I mean, it is like, you see those Egyptians destroyed, and you're like, made in the shade. We have this thing. And then you're wandering for some weeks. You're kind of moving around for some weeks. And whatever you did bring with you is running out. Your rations are depleted. Your animals are angry with you because you can't feed them. Your kids are mad at you because when kids get hungry, that's all they talk about. And so your kids are mad at you. You're trying to act like you're fine, but you're not. So you're going to Moses going, this is ridiculous. We left that for this? This doesn't seem right. And just in that span of time, what has happened? But that former life seemed better. It would be better to be enslaved by Pharaoh, doing work for him, than here with the Lord. I heard a guy speaking one time about his sin. And he was speaking about it, I think, honestly. Almost so honest that it gets uncomfortable. Uh, he was talking about you know, who he was before Christ. And he's like, man, some people talk about who they were before Christ as like this miserable thing. He's like, I really liked my sin. Like, I enjoyed sinning. It was, it was enjoyable. Or I wouldn't have done it. Like, I liked it. I did it. I loved sinning. Now, hear me in this, right? Like, in the Lord, you know that that statement is only true in as much as it has no eternal perspective, right? Like, only in the moment does that, does that make sense. But you don't sin because you think it's bad. It's like, you know what I want to do? Hit myself in the head with a hammer. Like, eternally, that's what you're doing. But in the moment, the decision you're making is for that immediate gratification, that immediate feeling of satisfaction, whatever it is that that makes you feel better. And interesting enough, what is motivating an Israelite in this moment but their inherent desires? And those desires are changing how they're interacting with Moses, Aaron, and and they kind of stand in in this in the place of the Lord. You'll even hear that statement, you're not grumbling against us, but the Lord. And so they go to their leadership, but really it's a statement about the Lord. So they're being driven by this immediate need, and they're frustrated, wishing they had their old life back. But this is so often how we live. This is often, even for us, here, today, with the Lord, glad to be saved. This is still so often sometimes what we look back to. We go, man, just maybe that is better. Maybe it is better just to live for yourself. Have what you want. Be satisfied. That seems better. There are probably, and again, I say this with understanding that we need to filter things through the lens of Scripture, and very often our hearts are in the wrong spot, and we're processing things wrong, processing a situation wrong, whatever it might be. But I bet there are times, and maybe you've been this person, where you come to the Lord, you're saved, and you have this assumption that everything from here on out is just going to be up. It's just going to be better. 
Life is going to get better for you. Things are going to go better. You're never going to get fired. Somebody's just going to hand you a bag of cash, and they're going to come to your house and go, here you go. We're so glad you're a part of the church now. Like, we have all these expectations that we would never vocalize, but that maybe inherently we think life's going to get really good now. And then your mom dies. Your kid gets cancer. Something happens that you were not anticipating, and you're like, wait a second, God. Why did you bring, like, why this and why now? That's often where we realize we're tested. Not in those moments of plenty where we think everything's great, but in the moments of lack. That, in the moments of lack, that's where we go, is, is God my provider? Does he have what I need? Does he know what I need? Is he listening right now? And you hear these statements and all these grumblings. Where is the Lord? Where is he? I don't have what I need. But that's, again, the superficial problem. Because they're being driven by those innate, just kind of desires, those impulses. That's what they think. So they're being driven by that. And I've seen some of you guys hangry. I get it. Don't talk to some people when they're hungry because... They may rip your head off. So a whole nation of hangry people is probably not the best nation to lead. But here's the problem. There's really a root to this. And it takes some work to go with how am I feeling to what's really going on. That's a hard adjustment to make. How am I feeling versus what's really going on. But the passage shows us as well in each of these stories what's really going on. What's really going on is that the nation has not remembered God's provision. They haven't remembered his character. For example, 1526. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes. This is after God had provided. And give ear to his commandments. And keep all his statutes. I will put none. I will put none. Of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord. Your healer. So in story one. Though God provided them what they needed. He then says again. If you would diligently just listen to me. And keep my commands. Calamity doesn't come upon you. I am the Lord. I am your healer. So in story one, what do we have? Veering of God's provision, his instruction, his ways. They had veered from it. He tries to draw them back. They quarreled. They were frustrated. What does the Lord say? You listen to me. And it's not just like, you know, listen like we listen to podcasts where it's like, I, what happened the last 10 minutes? I forgot. I was not, you know, I, I, I was distracted. But like, listen, meaning like from here, from ear to heart. Like, that's what we want. You go on from here to here. Like, if you listen to me. It's like, no, I know you heard me, right? Because your ear never stops doing that. So I know that the sound hit your ear, but did it actually hit your heart? If you would listen to me. If you would obey me. So in issue one, what's that tension but an issue of obedience to the Lord? 
knowing who he is and what he's taught, knowing his character and how he's instructed. But you see a similar language in 16.4. Then the Lord said to Moses, this was the bread, the manna. Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And what is the, in that passage, what is the immediate test that we get? But it's this, can you trust me that you'll have enough food for seven days even though I'm only asking you to gather six? Will you trust me? And what little, little phrases do we get in chapter 16, but, but some people went out on the seventh day and they found nothing. And those who had food left over, it disappeared or it rotted. In the morning it was gone. So what is that? Do you trust the Lord to meet your daily needs and not worry about tomorrow's? Can you do that? And the answer that the text gives us in that moment is, clearly for some, no. It's like, well, I know what he said, but is it really going to hurt anything if some of it goes bad the next day? And what I love about this passage is that, that as you're in chapter 16, what do they say? But, well, some people gathered a lot, some people gathered a little, but everyone had what they needed. Everyone had what they needed. You know, the Israelite family with five teenage boys, like, I'm sorry, can I have your Omer too? Yeah, you know, Asher, he's just kind of doing his thing. Can I have yours? Right? So they weren't looked upon as hoarding. He goes, no. We have a lot of needs. And so they had it. And the ones who gathered very little didn't lack. And what we're going to see in this, because it summarizes how the Lord provided for them all the way through the desert. And you get to the end of the, the desert, the wilderness wanderings after 40 years, and God says, you always had food, your sandals never wore out, clothing was always good. On the back end of the wilderness wandering, God had met every need that they had had, even though they were under his judgment, that this was their punishment. He still continued to meet their needs. So he tests them to go, will you just listen? It seems like a simple enough test, right? Six days a week, you will have food. Mana, mana, mana means what is this, right? It's a very logical word. Mara, bitter, call it bitter. Mana, what's this? We'll just, we'll just call it what we said at the, fir- like the first time. It's like when you look at your kid and go, this kid looks like a, right, whatever. And you just name your kid that. This is mana, mana. We'll call it mana. That'll work. So the Lord miraculously provides manna in the desert for his people. That's not enough, that there's actually food. And it seems like it was pretty good. I like to imagine that it was like waffle cone mix. I don't really think it was, but like that's what I'd hope it were. Like, yeah, like, like it was like waffle cone you know, dust on the ground. That's what I want it to be. You know, maybe in the new creation I can say, hey, can I try that manna? I'd like to think it's that, but I'm an American and everything has to be super sweet. So it probably wasn't that. Like, there's not enough honey on this manna. 
So God is providing for them. They go out. They collect their food six days. Don't you think if he goes, hey, on the sixth day, you'll have enough for the seventh. Just gather twice as much and you'll be fine. You would hope a reasonable human, and you're all reasonable people, I know it, but a reasonable person would then hear that and go, you know what? He's providing miraculous food. I think when he says you'll get, just gather twice as much on the sixth, you'll be fine on the seventh. I think that'll be fine. But what happens? You're like, I don't know, you know? Every day, he's been doing it every day. I think we just need to go out and see if the seventh day there's something there. You know, what if I misheard Moses? I just, I just, I'm not sure. This is a big struggle for you and for me. Will God meet my daily need? I really hope he meets today's and next Thursday's. And everything in between. But the test is, can you be dependent moment by moment, day by day? Will you be okay knowing God will give you what you need? So they had forgotten. They were tested. Now, in... Masa and Meribah, meaning testing and quarreling. That's uh, in chapter 17, 1 through 7. They're bothered that they don't have water. Water comes from a rock. Now, that might sound like a similar story because another story about water from a rock is how Moses is kept from going into the promised land. But remember how we read last week that he does get in in the transfiguration, so he shows up later. Uh, But in his earthly life, he is not there into the promised land. And it's because... In a similar story, the Lord commands him to speak to a rock, and he, and he instead does the same thing and gets frustrated. And so the Lord's like, you didn't hear me. Now you can't go in. The nation of Israel isn't into the land because they don't believe the word of the spies, or they believe the word of the spies and not the, the ones who said, no, we can take the land. So they were filled with fear over the people in the land of Canaan. But that whole generation is kept from the land because of their disobedience. They're not believing that God would do what he said he would do. And in this story, which is similar to the other story with Moses, water comes from the rock. They have what they need. But look at verse 7. He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel because they tested the Lord by saying, here it is, is the Lord among us or not? So in that first story in chapter 15, what do we have him say? But if you would just listen to my voice, no disease comes upon you. In 16, or uh, at the beginning of 16, if you would listen to my voice, do what's right, keep this, 16.4, I will test you whether you'll walk in my law or not. Will you walk in my ways? In 17.7, the nation wondering, is the Lord present among us or not? But what is the answer Yes, he's present. He provided you water. Yes, he is present. So we have this response from the nation toward the Lord that he's not giving them what they need, water and food. We have that real problem of, do we really think God is trustworthy? Are his words worth listening to? That's the challenge that they actually are dealing with. So they have that kind of superficial issue of I'm hungry. But they have the deeper issue of can God be trusted? Can he do what he said he will do? 
And again, you're a reasonable person. Everyone in here is reasonable. I mean, a few of you are on my unreasonable list, but that's, that has nothing to do with it. All of you have brains. You're putting things together. You've read the stories. We've been in this for 13, 14 weeks, something like that, 15. I'm not sure where we are, but we spent months in Exodus. We've seen what God has done. Shouldn't they by now be better at this? Shouldn't they be better? Don't you sometimes read the Bible and go, are you ridiculous? How in the world could you give all that up for lapping up water in Egypt? Why would you want that? That's your pride. That's my pride. To think that somehow I know better. I know better. That wouldn't have happened to me. Put me in the garden, we'd still be there. We'd still be there. I can make a better decision, Adam and Eve. I know I could. Give me a shot. You had your shot. You had it this morning. You had it yesterday. You had it the day before. You have it right now. F's all the way across the board. And so one thing that's hard for us is when we read about how ridiculous in the Bible people sound is for us to go, no, that sounds about right. You know, like, like that's, 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 that's not just accurate. It probably could paint a worse picture and still be accurate. And so as we read these sometimes, and we, and we might distance ourselves from what we see, but I go, no, 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 no. When you read Ephesians chapter 1 about how God saved you and raised you and placed you in the heavenly places, I mean, how often does that come to your mind as you're sitting in traffic and the person in front of you is not going in a green light? Zero, right? When you lay on that, right? God loves you. Or that time when your kids are playing outside, and the next thing you hear is a broken window. How many times have I told you not to throw things at the house? And then, there you go. Or, I mean, let's be honest, and, and maybe a little a little more uncomfortable when you know you should confess your sin to a brother or a sister to help bring what's going on in your heart into the light but yet you're convinced you're like no I think I can handle this one like I'll, I'll get it the next time around but like I'm good and all those temptations to live in a different way than what the Lord has commanded those are all there for us and those temptations are real can God's way be trusted Can his commands be trusted? Can his character be seen as good? Can I worship him for it? Well, we see God's response in each of these stories. And it's important here to realize that in each of these stories, we have God's response of providing what they need, not Hear me now, not because they had some magic change of heart.
but because God is gracious. So he gives them drinkable water when it was bitter. It turns sweet. He gives them manna and quail. Manna lasts for 40 years so they can eat. When they're thirsty again, he brings water from where there was none so that they aren't thirsty anymore and everybody can have what they need. In each of these, it is not because the nation had had some moment, some dawning, but because God cares about his nation. He has brought them out. He will not let them die in the wilderness. They will get into the land, even though it's a new generation that gets into the land. God is going to fulfill his promises because God is God. He is true. His word is true, and he can be trusted. So he is given drinkable water. It's sweet. They get manna to eat for 40 years, and then once they get into the land, which is a place God had promised to get them, in Joshua 5.12, you read this, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for people to eat, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So there's not even, like, there's nothing budgeted left over. The moment they take that bite of whatever it was in Canaan, okay, you have what you need here. You have been sustained through the desert. Now you're in the land, and you don't need that anymore. So he provided daily what they needed. And then in Rephidim, water from the rock. God is gracious. So often, we have this way of thinking, man, if you have a good day, you will think, I must have done something right. I must have. I must have done something right. I couldn't have done anything wrong because a good thing happened. And if a bad thing's happened, what do you do? I wonder where I went wrong today. How about this, though? What happens when you went wrong and something goes right. What's that? How about that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us statement? Or the numerous times that the Lord is speaking to the nation, he goes, it's not because you're awesome that I brought you out. It's because I'm awesome. I keep my word. That's his grace. Grace makes us worshipers because we have nothing to give. It's like I bring my grumbling and the Lord hands me a bottle of water. I bring my frustration, wish I were back in Egypt, and God says, here's manna. Again, I go, is the Lord even present? And he's like, I am. Here's water from a rock. Watch. Because he's gracious. So this passage gives a warning to the grumbler, but also an encouragement, which is to remember your good and gracious God as you journey in this life. And in that, I'm going to say this, watch your heart. We talk about Meribah. 
Masa, these spaces. Listen to this. Psalm 95. Starting in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to, to the proof, though they had seen my works. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I mean, that statement is used later in the New Testament. But it's a call. If you hear him, don't harden your heart toward him. That the wandering in the wilderness that the nation experienced for those 40 years is not this like, man, that was awesome. No, it's like, listen to the Lord. Don't be embittered. Do not harden your hearts. And I would say this to you today. Be it Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. I would say, if, you, if, if that seems to be what's going on in your heart, even right now in this moment, I would say to you, do not harden your heart toward that. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. What about this? What about my job? What about my family? What about that? Doesn't matter. The best place to be unsure about your future is with the Lord. Uncertain about tomorrow, better to be there with the Lord than by yourself or with your friends. I promise. But in the same way, I know many of you, I always I, I talk to people about their sin or, hey, what's going on? How's your walk with God? They always have this like whitewashed line of like, well, it's not as good as it could be. I'm like, well, when is that not true? You know, I guess new heaven, new earth, like that's it's gonna be as good as it could be. But until then, it's never as good as it could be. So I was like, well, what do you mean? What's one thing that would make tomorrow better than today? Maybe the Lord's asking that of you. You know, is it better, not, not as good as it could be because you're just stuck in sin and you're embarrassed by it? Because I tell you what, repentance is way better than just trying to stuff it down deep. Promise. So if the Lord is, is, is calling you, if, he's, if, he's, if his spirit is turning in you to repent or stirring in you to repent and turn to him, do it. Do it. Use what we see in the wilderness and as the psalmist said, as an example of what not to do. But I would also say this to go to what we see in 15 and 17 and in 18 about following his words or questioning his presence. There is an interaction that Jesus has in John chapter 6. It goes like this. John 6, 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He had fed people. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. 
Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent, in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, why are they saying that here in John chapter 6? Because Jesus only fed a group of people once. Why should I, what sign are you going to give? Because our God did 40 years of feeding. It wasn't just lunch. Come on. Listen to what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, it was not Moses, right, as our fathers, who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So even in this, what is Jesus saying? I'm the bread. I'm the bread. These folks were going, well, Moses fed our, our people for 40 years every day. He goes, it wasn't Moses, it was my father, and he's going to give you something better, which is me. Bread from heaven. They can give life to the world. So in the same way in Psalm 95, we are told to watch our hearts. Watch our hearts that we not be hardened toward the Lord and his ways? Well, how do we do that? By listening to the words of Jesus. And by walking in the ways of Jesus. And what did Jesus even teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Trust me, may we trust you moment by moment for what we need. And Jesus is the bread of life. That knowing his words, walking in his ways, is better than lunch. It's better than dinner. It's better than your favorite restaurant. Because... It gives eternal life. My prayer for us, it's funny, a buddy texted me at a church in Conroe. He goes, we're praying for you at tomorrow's service. Do you have any specific prayer requests? I'm like, well, how honest do you want me to be? Like, do you want me to name names or do you want me just to give you the blanket? Like, well, just pray we trust God more. But one of, one of my prayers, and uh, I can even share with you what I wrote to him, one of my prayers for us is that we would be just obedient to what God would say, that we don't just read it and go, oh, that was nice, cool, but that we read it and in it we see life. So I said, some prayers I'd love for you to be praying for us are that first our church would be bold to step out in faith. Where God has spoken, we believe. What he says he would do, 
we trust. Where he says, go this way, we go that way. That we would be bold to do it. And then secondly, that the Lord would disrupt our routines and show us a fuller picture of obedience. And I think that fuller picture of obedience comes with how seriously we take the words of Jesus and the person and work of Jesus. Because it is the same question, in a sense, that was asked even there in the wilderness. Can God be trusted? Is this true? Can he provide? Can he give me what I need? But what we have in the Gospel of John is Jesus saying, I am what you need. I am what you need. Trust me. That's what we need. A vision of God. We see him as so big and so worthy and so good that we go, there's nowhere else I would rather be than in the wilderness with my God because he knows what I need.